are listening to another episode of the Coach's Circle Podcast, brought to you by LifeCoachPath.com. Our goal is to explore all the different ways you can craft your own career in the fields of coaching, wellness, and mental health. Each episode features guests who offer an authentic perspective on their own unique career path and explores ways you might begin to craft your own. For more information on who we are and what we do, visit www.lifecoachpath.com. And now, here's your host, Brandon Baker. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Coaches Circle podcast. Today's special guest is Dr. Rachel Allen. She is a holistic psychologist, retreat leader, and pleasure expert based in Minneapolis and L.A., She's the author of her upcoming book, The Pleasure's All Yours, The Science and Secrets to Ignite Mind-Body Connection, due to be released in spring 2021. Welcome to the show, Dr. Allen. Thank you, Brandon. It's my pleasure to be here. I got I to gotta weave in that word as much as I can. <laughs> More, I'm a pleasure. <laughs> right, right. More on that later. Uh, absolutely. So... Yeah, well, I guess I guess you already kind of led into it, but I, I wanted to give listeners a chance to know more about you, and I already kind of uh, gave away some of that. But can you tell us more about the work you do and um, what exactly is a pleasure expert? Yes, good question, because a lot of people do want to know or are curious about how why I decided to, within psychology, focus on what I do. Um, but really, I integrate... Um, mind-body connection, so somatic practices. And um, because growing up as an athlete my whole life and really knowing how movement was like my medicine, um, I, I see how important it is to bring in the body in working with clients. So there's, it's really this integration of how uh, we've had a culture historically of disconnecting the body and mind and really um, overemphasizing or idealizing the mind and marginalizing the body. Um, but now we know so much more about the wisdom of the body and how it can really uniquely move past trauma out of us. So I, I really bridge together the uh, this mind-body connection with also um, relationship therapy and um, and the fact that not only have we had a mind-body disconnect, but we've had a um, a kind of disconnect from healthy pleasure, whether it be sexual pleasure, which is usually the first thing people think of when they hear the word. Um, but it can be other things as well as um, sensual pleasure and how, how we're eating, playfulness uh, as pleasure, um, being in flow states with adventure, even altruistic pleasures, although those are probably, you know, certainly the most accepted so I, um, I work a lot with yeah, relationships and also people's relationship to pleasure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, perfect. And I also want to share with listeners that um, before we started recording, I, I, I looked into your TED talk that you gave and you um, shared a term that I, I think you might have coined, um, correct me if I'm wrong here, but just as there is mindfulness for the mind, you shared the idea of bodyfulness. And well, first important question, did you coin that term? And <laughs> second, I did not. Oh, you no. did not. Okay. So, well, then there I, you go. I, um, I, you know, I, uh, I started using it. Um, I had, I hadn't heard it before when I started using it. Um, but then it was actually sometime in the months, right. As I, I was preparing my, 
um, TEDx talk that I learned that a woman, Christine Caldwell, had just, she had just then uh, published a book called Bodyfulness. And she even says that she didn't coin the term, that it's sort of been used very, you know, maybe more sporadically, minimally, Mm -hmm. um, even prior to her book. And her, her focus is really, I mean, I really love her idea around bodyfulness, although we're different in that mine is kind of a practical application. It's more of a method and a lifestyle. Um, whereas hers is certainly kind of a, a philosophy as well, um, but a little bit more um, academic and theoretical and looking also um, at it a little bit more in like social, uh, social psychology and sort of the, the kind of the body of our culture. So I, and I think both of our intents, both myself, Christine Caldwell, and maybe a few other psychologists out there in the world that might be using it is to just increase and kind of spread the idea that let's bring that word into our consciousness and our lifestyle like we have with mindfulness. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I really love that. Um, I also want to give more detail for listeners who are intrigued by this emphasis on the body and the wisdom of the body. So can you share some specific examples of how you incorporate movement and the body in general in your sessions with clients? Right. Yeah. And it's, it can be so different from person to person. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I think that I've spent my, from the moment I really decided to name that this is what I wanted to do and why it was important. Um, it's been a challenge to explain it to other people because just as we all have our own sort of genetic blueprint, you know, when people come to me for therapy, they have different needs and, um, no two people are alike. So, um, it can really vary, but, um, depending on, you know, somebody's existing level of body connection, depending on what they're coming into me for. Um, and, but, but I always do find a way to bring in the body sometimes through breathing. I start each session also with like a grounding guided meditation that incorporates the body. Um, and then I've had not in my office at the moment, since I'm doing things over video, but, um, my office has had an aerial, everything from an aerial silk where, you know, once I've worked with the client and really know them and what they're going through, they might explore kind of movements and release in an aerial yoga silk that hangs from the wall. <laughs> that might be a little bit more extreme to people, but also right. sometimes they might be even either sitting on the couch or lying on a mat and um, doing some intentional movements. I also sometimes walk and talk with clients, um, depending on the weather and have noticed the ways that things really seem to flow and clarity flows as people are kind of flowing in their body with walking and repetitive motion like that. Um, I've even for, um, if it warrants it, I've even done chakra readings with people. And that I say, would say would be maybe the most woo woo, if we want to call it that, <laughs> with, all, with all due respect to the subtle body energy. But I know it's um, the chakra system, which comes from the yogic, um, the yogic philosophy and system, I know might be the most um, kind of hard for people to wrap their head around, because it is more of an energetic method. But that's but yeah, those are just some of the ways in which I bring in the body. And sometimes it's more with inquiry, like uh, questioning, you know, and just when somebody shares something with me, like, now, as you said that, I noticed that your body moved in this way or you gripped your teeth or you stopped breathing. And especially in working with couples, there's a lot. I mean, the body language says a lot. So as I watch, I've just become more keenly aware with time at noticing how 
couples interact with, you know, and so much, they say so much and without actually saying it in words as well. So that can be definitely a way that bodyfulness uh, is brought into the session. Right. Awesome. Yeah. I think, I think that's fantastic. And I think that the, the focus purely on the mind, which is pretty much the tradition in classic psychotherapy and even most coaching. Um, I mean, at least to me, it seems pretty obvious that there is something clearly missing there because as any, you know, any, anybody who does any kind of like Reiki or, um, I mean, even massage therapy, I know Reiki is no, is non-touch, but even massage therapy, even, you know, all these different forms that do involve the body in some way, I, I think any practitioner of those fields would tell you that the body has its own, um, kind of, you know, record. It kind of has its own understanding and, um, and I think it's great that you're incorporating, and I and I, I encourage any coaches listening to, um, if if this is an avenue that that you do find valuable, don't feel like you're boxed in into this you know mind only kind of practice. Um, and there's there's opportunity here for for any assortment of of different techniques, and um, mm-hmm. some of which you just named, which is why I, I asked you the question because I, I wanted to give some more concrete examples. Um, so actually hopping off of that idea a little bit of you can craft your practice however it is that you'd like, one big topic that I, I wanted to discuss with you is, you know, I mentioned that you were a retreat leader. And um, I, I think for somebody who wants to get into coaching, right, and they want to craft a career that is uniquely theirs and they want to kind of get out of this whole, you know, corporate nine to five type of environment and they're looking for something totally different that involves that human element, but also doesn't have to necessarily be trapped in one physical location. It seems to me that retreats are such an ingenious way of doing that because not only are you able to <clears throat> move around in a way that you know a lot of people find appealing with regards to their career, you know, some people really value that travel element. Um, but on top of that, you get to do your work while doing it. You know, it's it's not just a, it's not just a vacation. It's it's uh, it's actually, you know, you're 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 practicing your craft while traveling. So I, I want to yeah. spend some time discussing that and how you came about, um, you know, doing these retreats and and how it's worked. And also, if you can add some details, I guess on the on the kind of business end of things, like how you um, found your way doing it. In, in a sustainable way from a, from a business owner's perspective. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think that uh, I would say it is definitely work. Um, um, it takes a lot of work to put together a retreat. And while you're there, you know, you have to be very involved in the experience in order to help others let go. But I will say, even though it's a lot of work, it is the most gratifying work that I do. Um, I would, I would love to do more retreats and it ha- actually had plans to amp up doing more, um, this fall and winter before COVID hit. So hopefully it can get back to that. But, um, why I find them so, um, meaningful is that although I can work individually or with couples, um, and notice improvement, there is, it, it's expedited in a way 
in an eight day retreat. That's usually what I do from a Saturday to a Saturday, although um, sometimes I've done long weekends. But in those in that eight days, what I, I've just noticed so much transformation that takes place because you're removed from your, you know, your environment, your home environment or work environment where we get caught in that to-do list. Right. Um, and a big part of retreats, at least in sort of the wellness and yoga world that I've been involved in, a big part is healthy, nutritious food and these meals, which is such a source of nurturance. Um, you're someplace beautiful in the outdoors. And, and as we know, like we're sitting inside way too much, um, that whole nature deficit disorder issue. Um, so yeah, being, being outside, eating good food, moving your body, connecting to community, you know, bringing, coming, going with friends or meeting new people. It's really such key ingredients to what we need to be kind of satisfied humans connected to our well-being. Um, and then what I, I also, you know, in my yoga classes and meditative classes, I also weave in just kind of different themes, um, connected to, you know, connect that are about our vitality and um, restoration. So I usually start each class with a bit of a, you could call it psychological or just or, or coaching, but just sort of a, like a, a theme for people to also embody. Um, and sometimes we'll have talks, maybe journaling activities. Um, so it's, yeah, it's, I mean, they're, they're really amazing. Now, the hard thing is it's not accessible to everybody. I mean, it's, it's cost money. It, people might have children. It's hard to get away. It's, um, you know, once people show up so much unfolds, but it, the, you know, the marketing and finding the place, you know, ideally you've been there so you can vouch for it. <laughs> right. Um, you have to have um, paperwork for liability. You know, if you're bringing people, a lot of what I do is international. So people are hopping on flights, they miss their flight. You have to make sure they don't blame you and want their money back. I mean, yeah. the, the, some of that, the less kind of spiritual, holistic side of it all, right? The business side is you have to really be, yeah, clear about the place, about your paperwork, you know, how, how you're selling it so you're not misleading people. Um, and, and also, you know, just, evaluating me, maybe who isn't, isn't a good fit. So there might be some people that, um, if they're, I don't know if they're have chronic pain and have never practiced yoga before, that might not be the best idea for them to come on a yoga retreat. So, um, it's, yeah, it's a lot of different moving parts, but like I said, it, it is really amazing to get to see people's experience. Now I would also say that usually at the end of a retreat, one thing I've done now is taken a few days afterwards to myself because it, you really give so fully of yourself. Mm -hmm. I mean, at least I think a good leader does and you're not, you know, you're not on retreat. <laughs> you're, you finish teaching and then you're helping somebody with the fact that they didn't get enough hangers in their room. And then you're, you know, you're like a kind of the Julie McCoy cruise director for all the old people out there who know that love boat reference. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, it's, it's um, yeah, I guess maybe that's where I'll, I'll, I'll right. leave it. If, to expand on anything more. Yeah, well, I, I was just imagining also as a as a business owner yourself, the ability to go on these retreats, even though you're right, it is a lot of work before, during, and after. Um, I would imagine it still adds value for you beyond just your, you know, beyond just feeling grateful that you're able to to help others, but just in terms of, you know, my business doesn't have to be stuck in the city that I'm in. Like I can, I can view my practice as, you know, kind of a free flowing thing where I can go on a, you know, I, I can lead a retreat for, for a week and, and completely get out 
of of where I'm at. Um, and I think it's just another benefit for for coaches who you know who want to craft a a career around their passions, around their desires. And and sometimes one of those passions is travel, right? And so I think it's just another way for coaches mm -hmm. to to be able to practice that. So yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, and I think that it's you know a, for for people to make a full time job out of retreats, though, I think you've really got to be um, doing it for a long time to kind of build up, or or have just your platform is already quite big to begin with, um, because a lot of it is yeah through like kind of word of mouth and people who have already gone on retreats. So. Um, but certainly like sprinkled throughout your year, doing right, some retreats. Right. Yeah, 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 for sure. Um, and then, but without a doubt, I'm a traveler, I'm, I'm an adventurer. So it really does fuse together a lot of my interests. And I grew up going to summer camps and it's really kind of like an adult summer camp. In the summer <laughs> That's true. You know, the growth and the, and the play and the learning and new experiences and adventure. And you come back. So people come back. I feel most connected to their, their essence and their authentic self and their confidence. And then, um, you know, <laughs> some of day-to-day -day life can kind of pull it out of us again in the weeks and months that go by, but, but it's very kind of regenerative for people. Right. And actually I wanted to ask you about the, after, after they come back, is there any kind of, um, you know, maintenance work that has to be done in that first week or two to make sure that there isn't a crash kind of um, from that that transition. Because I can imagine sometimes um, if somebody did have that transformative experience, it's kind of like when you come back from a, from a vacation, you know, you have mm -hmm. that kind of first day, you know, blues, right? Where, um, you know, you kind of, you're longing for to, to be back where you were. So do you have to contend with any of that? Or how, how do your clients that go on these retreats um, manage that first few days back? Well, you know, I think it's different for everybody, but also what is different compared to a vacation. Now, everybody's vacation is different, but sometimes people are, you know, um, they're more immersed in parenting and some of those challenges than ever on that quote unquote vacation, or maybe they're, um, they're, uh, their vacation, they're drunk all day, every day. <laughs> <laughs> You know, with no, I say with no judgment, but just right, that right. the nature of a lot of like the wellness retreats that I do is that it's people are restored and, and kind of more resilient. So actually it's, yes, it's disappointing or there's, there's kind of the resistance to going back into the busyness, but I feel like they're more capable and have greater capacity to handle it than ever. Hmm, okay. Uh, and then we, we also have, you know, I, there's, I try to have like reunions and um, during the first few months of the pandemic, I was doing um, yoga classes on Zoom for the last couple of years of retreat participants. And so there's also kind of, yeah, important to maybe maintain that community as best you can. Right. Um, okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, a, a topic that's come up a few times so far um, is, is COVID and the effect that COVID has had on, on well, practically everything at this point. Um, and so I wanted to ask you, you know, with with your work in particular, which is body, it's you know, it's body focused, it's it's movement focused. You know, if if we were talking about just kind of a a dialogue based coaching, um, you know, setup where you can just do that on Zoom, where there there really isn't much difference, um, and that's in fact why a lot of coaches did remote work even before COVID hit, right? 
But in your case, it is a lot of movement-based uh, work. And so have you noticed any, I guess, um, I guess, well, first, what challenges have you faced in light of COVID with regards to a client work? And have you noticed that your clients, have they been able to respond well to to this kind of new normal? And, and how have you worked to to make sure that they do? Right. Well, I've noticed that... Uh... I think that there have been some people that it's um, there was resistance, of course, and and because there's something really sacred and um, and just important about also, of course, our interaction in the in the office in that space and being together, you know, sharing space um, in a room. Um, so some people were resistant, but then. I noticed some people after a little while, they decided, well, I'm going to give it a try, whether, you know, maybe they feel more comfortable on phone versus video. So having kind of options along those lines helps. Um, for example, one, one client that I used to walk with a lot now, you know, we just are both on the phone walking essentially, but walking <laughs> and talking. Um, but um, it's some people, I guess the, the one silver lining is that I know there's been some people that maybe I used to work with, but one or both of us moved away. And um, now it feels like, okay, this is accessible to reconnect with this, with my therapist. Um, or people who maybe felt, yeah, dis distance and traffic or just time. It just, it's a little bit removed the barrier that some people have put up to go, you know, and get some of the support that they want or need. Right. So that that I'm happy about, but yeah, there's, you know, th there's the technical glitches or sometimes there's like a little lag and you feel like you're each interrupting each other. And so that can kind of be hard for the flow, but, um, and, and some, like I said, the things you pick up on mannerisms and facial expressions can be a, a little bit harder, but I think we just all need to, yeah, keep doing the best we can and, um, and doing our, I think just being uh, having a little grace and flexibility as far as you know how the what the background is the sounds that might be in the background or um but uh, yeah it's it's been it's people seem to have adapted and and i at first at first i think slowed down a little bit because i think some people lost their jobs and it was hard to yeah, afford absolutely therapy um but now i will say i think because as this wears on longer i've been busier than ever with also new people wanting to get in. Right. Well, it, it expands the network for sure, because people that before were hesitant to do any kind of remote therapy, any kind of telehealth, right? Now, that's just all we have. And so, yeah. um, you know, telehealth basically is what therapy is right now. And so at least until we have some kind of uh, solution to this whole ordeal. So, um, so yeah, I think it's expanded the scope for a lot of therapists. I think, I think coaches generally have already kind of been on the remote coaching train for a long time. Um, so it hasn't really made that much difference for them, but yeah, for therapists, for sure. A lot of them, a lot of therapists I've spoken to have talked about that exact silver lining that you just said, where mm -hmm. it's expanded their, their reach. And um, not only that, but sometimes compliance as well, because, you know, there's no excuse to miss an appointment if all you have to do is open up Zoom. And so <laughs> um, and so that yeah. that has helped a lot as well with that consistency element. Um, yeah, and I, and I don't I guess you would be better at answering um, why it is that coaching already was on that forefront of things of, of doing things right computer. yeah well I, I think simply the reason is because there is no licensing restriction to prevent it from happening i mean it would be kind of difficult especially given 
given how much less common or less popular coaching has typically been than therapy, coaches don't have the luxury of saying, you know what, I'm from Nebraska and I'm only going to serve clients in Nebraska. You know, it, it's kind of like, okay, well, if I want to make a living, I have to expand my reach way beyond where I'm at right now. And the only way to do that, obviously, is through Skype. Well, Skype has typically been how it's been done. Uh, Zoom is kind of the hot thing now. But um, mm. but yeah, I mean, I think coaches by necessity have had to, um, you know, have had to do a lot of their work remotely. And also even coach training programs now are remote. Even before COVID, they were just pure remote programs out there. And ICF accredited in the whole nine yards. So um so yeah, I think this kind of idea of remote work has been just kind of in the coaching culture for mm-hmm. for the longest. Right, yeah. right. Yeah. As soon as you talked about the licensing thing, that's that's what of course clicked for me that that hasn't been something that's that's held them back. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Which is a problem in some ways. How there is no licensing board to hold you back, um, and I think that creates a lot of uh, a lot of you know less than scrupulous type of coaches out there who who may or may not be practicing in the way that uh they should be but but most coaches by and large um you know definitely respect the um the kind of icf set of uh code of ethics and and things of that nature but um yeah so in the in the in the time we have left i wanted to ask you a question that i'd like to ask you know therapists and coaches that i have on the show which is kind of it's a two-part question but Really, it's what has been the most rewarding aspect of the work that you've done? And on the flip side of that, what has been the most maybe unforeseen or the most challenging aspect of of your practice? And how have you maybe changed the way that you've had to work, changed the way that you've had to approach clients or um, changed something about about your practice to overcome that? Oh, it's well, a yeah. big one. I know. I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I've thought I have thought about these things, um, certainly. But uh, I, um, you know, most gratifying or what yeah, kind of fills me up is that, um, I, you know, I just I, I it sounds kind of trite or something. But I but I think that maybe one shouldn't go into this field if you don't like people and care about the human experience and, you know, can care human to human. Um, if you aren't capable of, you know, any sort of emotional intimacy or don't like it, you know, don't want to be bothered. Um, so there has to just be some appreciation and, and draw for just to really connect human to human. And so I, I definitely appreciate those moments when I can be just really, especially when you've been working with the client for a while. Um, and just, there's a, there's a flow and there's a rhythm and there's an understanding and you're kind of building on the trust that you have established with each other. Um, and so that, you know, that's definitely meaningful and you don't, it's not like, you know, as a therapist or a coach, maybe even you don't necessarily, uh, people can come and go, they, they don't owe it to me to give, you know, necessarily a, a formal goodbye or explanation. It's not something that's part of our, what's required. Like you must, you know, always come every week. I, that's not my style at least. Um, right. but so sometimes I don't always know what, happens to people and then but then maybe they'll come back and report how much they really appreciated our time together or maybe they refer others to me and that's so there's there's but but you can't really go into it with it being about yourself and and how you 
you know, um, your ego and, and that you are the, this great effector of change, you're really there to facilitate what is already within people through your questioning, through your presence, through providing that safe space. So um, it, you're a facilitator, not some sort of godlike person who's- Yeah, miracle who's, you know, worker. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so it's, and I also really love how, I mean, I'm never bored. I'm, I'm especially working in the world of relationships and pleasure and sexuality and, and mind body connection and all the wisdom in the body. I mean, there's, it's endlessly fascinating to me. I, I don't understand why everybody out there is, didn't want to go into, you know, <laughs> psychology and coaching to understand, you know, humans and why we do what we do. I mean, I'll just, I'll, I'll just go out on, you know, I was actually playing tennis with a friend recently and some other people came into the neighboring court and I just missed half the balls because I was just sort of observing them and what they were yeah. doing. And I just like to observe. And, See, for, for people like us, people watching is like a real sport. Like it's a real activity. It's not just like something you do when you're mindless. You know, people watching is like a real, <laughs> you know, intense activity because I, I completely see you eye to eye there. Um, I can't think of anything more fascinating than the human mind. So. Mm -hmm. Um, but I guess we're both yeah. preaching to each other at this point. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. And I, and I guess on the flip side to answer, finish answering your question. I mean, one of the, the two things that have been hardest for me is one, just to sort of learn about my limitations and balance, because it is you are giving your energy, you're giving of yourself, even even though, again, it's, you know, it's their process, but just to be holding space. Um, and when I had worked in the past in like hospital settings or quite honestly, when I've just worked for other people uh, before I became my own business, right. uh, I wasn't able to manage, you know, how many, my caseload and how many people I would see. And I just know, I know, you know, internally kind of the sweet spot of the number of people per week that really were for me to be effective and really give my best self, you know, and, but that being said, coaches, therapists, we're all humans. We have weeks where we didn't sleep as well or where, um, you know, something stressful happened. And, but I really, um, it was hard for me to not be able to, to kind of manage that and, and be working places where it was expected where every hour of your day, every day was to meant to be filled. And it's just not a, it's a craft that isn't about every hour or 40 hours being filled. It doesn't work that way. It's, it's a different energetic exchange than, you know, other, other jobs. Um, so that, that was hard for me for a while. And just, and also just making sure that I, made my own self-care a non-negotiable because if, if I didn't exercise, if I wasn't sleeping, I mean, I just obviously wasn't able to, I couldn't just phone it in quote, quote, in a way that wasn't really there. Yeah. Or else um, why do it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. That's yeah, why you had like to, I, yeah, I was just going to say, that's why you had to go on your own retreat after your retreat yeah. was done. <laughs> yeah, totally. Also just the other thing that has been really hard is like kind of dealing with um, some of the stigma around mental health and also just the ways that managed care and, and insurance tries to regulate it, which I don't think is, you know, anything coaches really have to worry about. So bless you all. Appreciate that. <laughs> have gratitude. You don't have to kind of deal with, with health insurance. And at the same time, um, I do still take one type of health insurance because it just helps provide access to the care that, you know, we all deserve and that not everybody can afford right um, yeah this is why i don't even ask about insurance because like a hundred percent of therapists share that same feeling that yep, you just yep. said so it's like okay mm -hmm. i i think we've been there already we can all agree on this one topic and and move on um yeah yeah yep, yep. so those have been that's kind of been kind of the different nuances that i've 
um, I've noticed, but it's, yeah, like, like anything you, each year you kind of make it more your own and tweak it a bit and try to try to figure out what works best. Absolutely. Well, you know what, this was, this was really, really helpful, Rachel. I think, I think listeners are going to get a lot out of it. And I, I love how you definitely made your practice your own. I mean, not just with your unique take on, on movement and its importance, the, the kind of, uh, you know, the mind of the body in a way, I guess you can put it that way. And your retreats, I, I think it's really awesome. And this is like really the example of making your practice your own. So yeah, uh, making yeah. it more pleasurable, which as you know, is something I, I, I love to focus on. And that's since I, we didn't really get time to talk kind of about the different layers of pleasure that like people can check out my TEDx talk, which is um, pleasure to the people. <laughs> so there that and how to how to bring pleasure into all aspects of our life, including yeah our our, our craft and our profession. Um, but yeah, this has been wonderful to get to have this chance. I always love getting to I, I can chat forever. <laughs> some of these, so I'm glad that you. That's always you asked. yeah. That that's always a good sign when somebody can chat forever about what it is they do. I think that's how you know. Like if there's somebody listening that's you know thinking yeah like mental health and these kinds of topics that you know all the stuff we just talked about like this is the stuff that they want to talk about while they're busy doing some other job i mean that right there is your sign that maybe you should be thinking about transitioning to to something closer to whether it's coaching or therapy or what have you so um i'm also um i also share that that passion so again thank you so much i, I want to give you one last chance to tell everybody uh, where they can find you and um, i know you have a book coming out as i mentioned so if you want to give more details about that yeah, the book is coming out um, with Shambhala Publications in um, the spring. Um, and in the meantime, um, you know, I have my website, good old website of um, <laughs> drrachelallen.com, A-L-L-Y-N, and um, on Instagram as pleasure underscore experts. That's where I have a lot of my um, stuff on, especially like relationships and, and mind-body stuff. So um, those are probably the best places to connect to what I'm up to. Perfect. Well, there you go. Um, I'll make sure to have those links in the show notes. And um, again, thank you so much for being on the show, Rachel. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Anytime, Brandon. Thank you. All right. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Coaches Circle Podcast. We hope you enjoyed listening to our show just as much as we enjoyed making it. If you'd like to check out a complete listing of all of the episodes on our show, head on over to lifecoachpath.com slash podcast. See you on the next one.